Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name's Jason, and it is my privilege to welcome you here today as we dig into the Word of God. As Pastor Reeves said, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and as we move through the traditional movements of Advent, that puts us right in love. So we're going to explore today with the text that we read what it means to be loved by God. Because I think we have a lot of ideas of what that means to us personally. But what does it mean from God's perspective? And here's what I know about this season. Um, it's, I look forward to it. I love Christmas, um, and many of us do. Looking forward to it. Family comes in. Um, if you're younger, maybe you get presents. I don't get presents anymore. But, um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of expectation. But here's what I also know. It produces a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. It just does. I mean, the stats just show it. Um, it it's, it's a restless time for many of us. And so here's one thing I want us to do today. Very simple. I want us to slow down just for a minute and understand with precision what it means that you are loved by God, what it means to actually walk in that love. Um, One of my favorite old-timey theologians, Augustine, 4th century, North Africa. He was a bishop down there on the coast of North Africa. And he came to faith really late in life. He was 32 years old. And he'd spent his entire life seeking truth and meaning through different religions and different ways, through education, through philosophy. And when God got a hold of him, boy, did he get a hold of him. And in his book, Confessions, maybe you've read it, it's huge. But when he starts out the book, he says this, We were made for you, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. That is so true. So if you're coming here this morning and you have any kind of restlessness, you're in good company. You're in good company. So we want to understand how love changes that and slow down and experience it. And we're gonna, here's how we're going to do it. It's simple, but also not. We're going to take John 3.16, like a big rubber band, and we're going to hook it on creation. We're going to stretch it. Hope it doesn't break all the way over here to Christmas and beyond. Because it's a simple promise. It's a summation of everything that God promises in the gospel, but it's deep. So we want to stretch that, that verse, John three sixteen that most of us know and understand what it means that love changes, right? Love changes everything about us when we meet love. So we're going to jump in here, John three sixteen and 17. I'm going to read it again for us, a little slower. Listen to the words, listen to every single word it says, because they all have meaning. And then we're going to dive in. And if you're... Hey, if you're new, if you're like, I, I don't know if I really believe in God, you're welcome here. This is where you find out. This is where you get your questions answered. This is how it works in any community. Um, and so I'm glad that you're here. Listen, this is a very famous verse. Listen to what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave, underline, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this season. I thank you that we've anchored tradition into celebrating the gift that you've given us and expecting your return. And so my ask, our ask this morning, is that we can slow down. We can slow down and understand what that means, that you love us. And so we lift this up together. We pray that you would open up your word that we might behold its treasure in the name of Christ. Amen. So love changes. This is all about change. Love is going to change you. It's going to change three things about you that we're going to look at. We'll look at the text through three lenses today. One is how does love change your experience? What experience? I don't know. How you got up today? How you're sitting here today? How does love change your everyday experience? Most specifically, how does it change God's promise to you? Secondly, um, how does love change your expectation? When you think, what is an expectation? It's your future. So when you think about your life and even this week, this month, the next 10 years, how does the fact that God is in love with you and has proven that and is with you, his love for you, how does that change how you expect what your expectations are? And lastly, how does God's love change how you love? Because it's impossible to be loved by God and experience him and not have that change the way that you love. And we know, again, we know that this, this busyness and this chaotic life that happens on the inside in what Scripture calls the heart many times almost always flows out into our external life. So let's walk through that together. Love changes your experience, your expectations, and how you love. Um, the first thing I want you to understand as we understand God's love is it's present. We know that there's incredible power in personal presence. There's no such thing as a love that's not present. Um, You ever heard of a therapy dog? No? Okay. So I'll explain it to you. You've you've heard it. In hospitals, and if you're probably in the medical profession, like rolling your eyes, but stick with me. In the hospital, it helps with healing. So they bring in hounds sometimes and dogs. And you know what happens when they do that? The heart rate, in about 30 minutes, the heart rate slows, it calms down, the anxiety slows, the pain goes a little bit more in the background because the therapy dog is there and the dog just wants to be there. The dog is just there to love this person and be there. Happens with babies. Babies do not thrive without personal touch. We know that touch releases um, oxytocin, the bonding drug. God's created us for that and creates a bond. Presence is necessary when it comes to love. I remember um, in one of the darkest seasons of our life years ago, when the church we were in in Southern Virginia, and we'd just been robbed, and a deacon shows up, him and his wife, and they just gave us like this huge, massive thing of spaghetti. And I knew that the church cared for us. I I knew that. But when they showed up in our moment of darkness and said, here, and they gave to us personally, it expressed their love to us in a tangible way that cannot be mimicked or you cannot just assent to. So love changes your experience in this. Jesus makes God's promise to you very personal. There's no such thing as God's promise unfolding without 
God himself showing up on the scene. So God the Father sends God the Son, and the idea of sonship here is uniqueness. The idea is not born. Jesus shows up. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. What was the gift? The Son. He gave the Son. That's a pregnant word. Let's understand that better. What did the Father give? So when we received this huge, and I mean it's a massive tin of spaghetti. It took us like three weeks to eat it. We received not just food and marinara sauce and meatballs and garlic bread. We received the whole church. We received their love tangibly. So something of the sender comes in the gift. So what are we getting in the Son from the Father? What are we getting from God? Well, John, uh, the book of John that we're reading here, if you read through chapters 15 through 17, it's love, 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 love. Everybody loves. I want, this is what you're getting from God. Uh, First of all, John 3.35 says, the Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. So God the Father delights in and loves God the Son. So... We're talking about Christ. We're talking about our love. No, you need to hear this. God the Father loves God the Son. John 14, 31. Jesus says, What I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So the Son loves the Father. Father loves the Son. Son loves the Father. And and John 15, 9 said, As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you, speaking to his disciples. Abide in my love. Stay there. Hold tight in it. So you see, God the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Son loves his own. Do you see what's happening here? So when God gives the Son out of love, you're getting the whole package. You're getting something of the sender. And we need to understand that. And faith pulls us into this experience of being loved by God, how he loves. It's not that he loves us. God is love, right? God loves God. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Son loves his own. And that's the experience. If, If you're willing, if you're willing to trust him, If you're willing to abide in that love, as Pastor Reese said, if you're willing to receive it as a gift and not actually believe that God loves you because of something that you've done or who you are or who you are not, if you're willing to open-handedly receive that, then you get pulled into the experience of what it means to be loved by God. And that will settle your heart. When you're loved like that, it will settle your heart. So love changes your experience. Think about that for a minute. We love to share in experiences, don't we? I got a big old loud Christmas dinner coming up. It's, it's Connor's, right? We're loud and noisy. I'm excited for that, usually. But I'm going to share in that experience, and it's going to be fun. I'm going to make somebody mad. I can already feel it. Think about the experiences you look forward to. Do you delight in this? Do you delight in the fact that God delights in you? How real is that to you? Do you long for that experience? Do you long to understand what it means that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves... 
and you are wrapped up into this conspiracy to change you into a lover of God and to receive him. Do you long for that experience? Because love will change your experience. God wants you to receive that. Secondly, love changes your expectations. Um, Let's track this through the entire Bible. Think of it this way. Um, In California, they have this tree called a redwood. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's really big. (laughs) Have you ever seen a redwood seed? How tall can they get? The tallest one I know of is 380 feet. I think they're the tallest trees in the world. They can be 40, 60 feet around. Some of them, they say, were around when Christ was born. You ever seen the seed of a redwood? It's as big as a pumpkin. Just kidding. It's not. It's tiny. Little, little, actually, little kind of dwarfy pine cones on a redwood, and you shake them, and a little tiny seed comes out. It's smaller than, t- I think it's smaller than a, corn, a, a kernel of corn. Know this. In that seed of the redwood, do you know what it contains? A 380-foot tall redwood. Everything that tree needs to thrive, all the information it needs to grow, is contained in that seed. Think of God's promise as that seed. It comes, it's almost obscure when it comes to us. But in that promise, as it gets watered, as it gets planted, as it, as it moves through time and space in, in the lives of real people in real places, as he unfolds it, it grows into a shoot, into a branch, into a massive tree, until the true gift comes, until the, the promise expands and unfolds, and you see what God was talking about when he promises a redeemer. So Genesis 3.15, let's go there. This is, this is the, the almost cryptic promise that God gives when Adam and Eve say, we don't want to trust you like that. We think we can do fine on our own. We'll let you know if we need you. The fall of mankind. And you've heard this before. I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, and the woman, that is Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the seed. That's the redwood seed. That everything is contained in that promise. Christ came because of that promise. The seed contains the entire promise. And they believed God. So, you have got to put your expectations on his promise to you. How do I know they believed him? Well, let me read that to you. This is what faith sounds like. And at the end of this part, after God pronounces curses, and in the midst of that curse is the blessing of Christ, the man called his wife's name Eve because she's the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Why in the world would Adam name his wife, who was a gift, by the way, the mother of all living, when they both together brought death into the garden? There's no reason for it. Unless they were willing to believe God. No, no, he said, your seed is going to crush the serpent. I believe. Mother of all living. And God slays an animal and clothes them. 
It's like a movie trailer for what was about to happen thousands of years later. So love will only change you if you are willing. You'll only experience God's love if you're willing, wherever you are, to trust him for the circumstances you're in. If you're willing to trust, he can make sense of that. How do you make sense of what happened in the garden? You don't. Neither trust God or you don't. So they chose to trust him. So one promise. Also, one place. This is significant. Why Bethlehem? Oh, little town of Bethlehem? Do you know why Bethlehem is significant? Because it's not. Nobody wants, nobody wants to go to Bethlehem. It's not, well, actually there are people I know that live there. So um, my neighbor, his family lives there. So that was probably rude of me to say. But it's a small agricultural village south of Jerusalem. It's not a city. It has no renown. There's no reason for a king to come from Bethlehem. Do you understand that? It's inconsequential in the history of the world. God is teaching you something. You will not save by your might or strength. In fact, the promise, the one who will crush evil, will come out of a place most people have never heard of, Bethlehem. Let's check that out for a minute. Um, Micah 2, a prophet, teaches God's people in the midst of destruction. This is where the ruler will come from. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth For me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel. Probably unbeknownst to Micah, he's not just speaking of a good king who will trust God, who will rout evil. He's talking about the the true king, the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. And God lets us know, this one will be born in Bethlehem. Now, let's trace that just a little bit. Um, The line of the woman. Seth, fast forward. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. Do you remember Ruth? Why did Ruth go to Bethlehem? wasn't planned, was it? We just went through that book this summer. She went back with her mother-in-law because her husband and her father-in-law and her brother-in-law all died. And she chose to go to Bethlehem with Naomi. Not because she wanted to. But she wanted Naomi's God to be her God. She, she anchored her expectation for her future onto Naomi's God, onto Yahweh. And she ends up in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph, they're not from Bethlehem, by the way. Well, they weren't living there. They had to go to Bethlehem. Nobody really had, they were pushed there in a way because there was a Roman census for tax purposes. And Joseph was in the line of David, oh, by the way, from Bethlehem. So he has to go back to register back in Bethlehem so he can be taxed and be counted. Mary's pregnant. She has Christ right there. In Bethlehem. So one promise, one place. 
And this one person, this one person, let me take you to Luke. Could you imagine being a teenager and having an angel say this to you? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive, and in your womb you will bear a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, connect the lines, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary's not stupid. She's like, I'm a virgin, so maybe you're too early. I, I, what? No, no. The Spirit of God will overshadow you. Nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary has a really important decision to make. Will I anchor my expectations to the word of God or not? This is what she says. Let it be to me according to your word. See, love changes your expectations. When you are loved by God, you will find yourself willing to anchor your expectations, what you will do and what you will not do, and how you see your future based on what his word is telling you, where his spirit is moving you. So one promise, one place, one person, and this is Jesus. Now, Gabriel announces Jesus as the son of the most high. Here's some other names you will find for Jesus, both out of Isaiah and also in the New Testament. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. In Ruth, we see him called a redeemer, one that would pull his people out of slavery and of bondage and save them and bring them newness. Probably the most famous one and the one we're going to hang on is Emmanuel. Matthew calls him Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? Anybody? Look at that. You got it. God with us. That's got to be your expectation. That's how love changes your expectation. That's how the love of God changes your expectation for your future. Because no matter where God drags you, no matter where your circumstances take you, no matter how good or bad the season of life is that you're in, God is with you. Emmanuel, God with me. God with us. That is your expectation. Is that your expectation? Are you living in the expectation that no matter what, God is with you? This, this is what Christmas is about. This is what the Advent is about. Has love changed you such that you are living in expectation that God is with you right here, right now? God's love means to do that to you. And the third way that God's love changes, it's how you love when you experience love like this, you can't not respond. So let's understand what it looks like to respond to that love. Um, but before we go there, let me just ask you about some of the things that you love. Um, and, and I want to make some distinctions. You love electricity, right? Because it's efficient and it makes your life expedient and gives you heat and things like that. Now, I know some people that love golf. Anybody here love golf? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but if you love golf, golf is not an efficient game. It's not expedient. 
You love it because you love it. There's some people in here that love rock climbing. It costs time, it costs money, it costs equipment, it can cost your life, just saying that. (laughs) But they don't love rock climbing because it's good exercise. Just going to tell you that. If you love rock if you're doing rock climbing because you think you're going to get good exercise, you're going to drop it someday. You're going to be like, it's not worth it. If you are loving rock climbing, it's because there's something about it that brings awe into your life. I didn't love flying when I used to do that because it was an efficient mode of transportation. I was in awe of it. So love changes you in this way. God means for you to be in awe of him and to be in awe of of his love for you and what he has done for you. He means for you to have that. Not just to say, well, this is an efficient way for me to get my way. Or, I, you know, I need some fire insurance for the end of life in case this God thing is true. This is not what he's shooting for. He's shooting for a love-trust relationship. And we understand that when we see the person of Christ, what he does and what he expects and how he loves in so much as giving up his whole life for you. So this is, this is going to change how you love when you understand this. He wants awe. Okay? Changes how you love. Um, there's a person, I don't know if you've ever heard of this person. His name is Bernard of Clairvaux. Um, I know you haven't met him because he lived a long time ago. He lived around the turn of the first century, um, first millennia rather, around a thousand. And he was a monk. He was an abbot. He, he ran a whole monastery in France. And if you think about the time of, of that turn of the millennia, you know, the fall of Rome happened like 600 years prior, and it was the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages. So Europe was just starting to thaw, and there was monasteries all over Europe, and he became an, a significant influencer in the church. Um, he kind of was in that bridge between just um, the Dark Ages and cities starting to spring up and universities starting to spring up. But he was very dissatisfied with the church. He was very dissatisfied for this reason. People didn't have a personal relationship with God. And so his response to that was to be a monk. Now, you might say, well, that's an overplay. Maybe. But do you sacrifice anything for your faith at all? See, a monk, we're going to take a vow of poverty. We're going to spend our time praying. We're going to spend our time serving the poor. We're going to get real about this. We're going to do it in a cloistered community. Is it an overkill? Probably. But God really used that. Do you know why we have small groups? Monasticism. Monks. They said, this is important. We need to read the word of God together. This is why we have personal devotion. Didn't come from the church. Came from monasteries. So the reason I tell you this is because he wrote something that I think was significant. It was called The Four Degrees of Love. So love changes how you love. Listen to what he said. And it's not all perfect. It's not the Bible. But just listen to how he experienced it. He said, here's the first degree of love. You love you because of you. You are self-motivated. You are self-sufficient. You love you because of you. That's the first degree of love. Now, that resonates in our culture. You do you. Do what makes you happy. That's where you're going to find fulfillment, right? You love you because of you. First degree of love. He said it's natural in our sinful state. Secondly, 
you love God because of you. In other words, you love God because of the blessing that he brings you. As you hear the gospel, and you're like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have life eternal. I want that. And that's not wrong. You're loving God for what he can give you. He said that's natural. And that's good. Step two. The third love is where it starts to, the business starts to happen. You love God for God. This is where the awe happens. You love God for who he is. You're in awe of him. You're in awe of his holiness. You're in awe of his patience. You're in awe of his creativity in creation. You're in awe of him. You love God because you love him. You're in awe of him. This is what God wants. This is what your heart wants. Like Augustine said, you were made for him. And until your heart finds its rest in him, you will not have rest. You were meant to love God for love. And then he spins back to it. The fourth one's kind of weird. You love you. So we're back to us again. You love you because of God. I think I get it. You understand yourself not as an end anymore. You are not the center of your universe. You cannot wear the weight of that. You are now seeing yourself as a creature of God who is created to communicate and to spread his glory, to reflect it as an image bearer to all of creation. And you love that station in life. I am not God, but I am created by God to reflect God to all of creation. So now I I even love myself because I belong to him, because I'm created by him, and because he loves me. I think that's good, and that flows out not just to self, but to others. That flows out, I think he probably should have gone all the way and said, I love myself and others because of God. That feels wrong to us, because we're going to have two ditches there. No, that sounds wrong. can't be a Christian and love yourself. Okay, here's two ditches. God's love means he's never going to restrict me. I'll do whatever I want. And he would never take anything away from me. We know that's false. No love works like that. And the flip side is, if I hate myself enough, then God will love me. If I see myself as just, if I can't love myself, then that must mean I understand my wickedness, and then maybe God will love me. I don't think that works either. It doesn't work either. You're loving yourself because you're a creature of God. It takes you off the throne of your heart and puts him there. And you're his creature. I think that's very, very helpful. Love changes your experience. Are you expecting to share in the experience of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit today, this season? Are you expecting that God will be with you? And you're expecting to fall in love with him? Expecting to be in awe of God? Are you expecting to find the power and the glory of the living God in the arms of a teenager, in a stall, in Nowheresville, Palestine? That's how God loves. Um... I came across something this week 
It's a picture. They're going to put it up if our screen works. It was created by a nun in Our Lady of Mississippi Valley, kid you not, monastery, I think in the Iowa, in Iowa. And it communicates God's love for you, and this wraps it up. It's so beautiful. Do you, do you see what she did? For God so loved the world. That's Eve. I can only trust you, God, when I need you. You see the shame in her eyes. But do you see where she's looking? There's Mary. And what connects the two, by the way, they're both weighing over their head. What connects the two is that child. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. We're going to close today. I want you to just let your heart rest in that. I'm going to read this one more time. I'm going to leave it up on the screen for a minute. Just worship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let God take your condemnation. Let him have it. receive eternal life.